Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Greetings, guys. Welcome back to the Bogle Pass Horror Podcast. As always, from Boston, this is Scott. Uh, and from a rainy Los Angeles, the day after a uh, slap of palooza, this is Jim. And from Kansas City, where the sun is shining for the first time in a hundred years, this is Livio. So I noticed that awkward silence after I did my piece, and I'm picturing Livio hopping in there right after me, and Jim just getting up and ready to fucking wallop, slap him right in the cross the face. I forgot I was next. I really did. for a <laughs> I, I, I went blank. Yeah. If you're hearing this, obviously we had just had an Oscar night last night and uh, you know, Mr. Will Smith got a little physical with Mr. Chris rock and always, uh, always good to talk about that. The professionalism of Hollywood. So we're going we're gonna to keep it. Yeah. It was a kind of a classic universal studios fight though. Wasn't that <laughs> one of those, one of those Vincent price style, you know, to say it would have been great if it ended if everything just caught on fire or like water just destroyed the place or something. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it was like um, like Albert and Costello means like Frankenstein, just like that Royal Rumble, you know. Someone someone made a comment. I I hadn't even caught it because I didn't totally watch last night. Um, that that it only happened after Chris Rock was talking about Denzel Washington's performance in Macbeth, and he said the title of the play, the Scottish play, in the, in the Dolby Theater, which you're not supposed to say the title of the scottish play in the dolby theater it's bad luck so <laughs> let's just um i think that's up on the wikipedia now they list apparently the wikipedia site for macbeth lists all the instances where someone has said the name of the scottish play in the in a theater and bad things have happened so oh boy check it out anyway, anyway. so we've got a good one i guess i mean livio we got to credit you with this one i'm sure if you had never made our acquaintance we probably would hit this one at some point but because <laughs> Of Livio's love affair with a Mr. Lon Chaney, I gotta, I gotta credit you, man. I think this is why we're doing this one in in 2022. So, kudos. I think I'm the reason why several people have watched a Lon Chaney movie in <laughs> 2022. So this one today is Inner Sanctum, the strange um, Inner Sanctum, strange confession, the 1945 film, and. Um, I gotta admit, like this, these ones are, are relatively new to me. Um, I remember the old. God, the old broadcast from like the 30s, but I right. didn't I didn't get across to these movies up until I'd say last like year, maybe. Um, but yeah, these are really good. I thought, I mean, going into them, I'd always heard the like Twilight Zone light, and they're they're really not, but they're really fun. So I mean, I'll start. I mean, Livio, where did you where did these ones hit your radar? I mean, besides just being a Cheney fan, like where did what how did these get on your radar? So in the mid-90s, I want to say 95, 96, uh A and E did a biography on Lon Cheney Jr. And as they were going through his career, um, they talked about how, you know, Chaney wanted a, a reprieval, in a sense, from his monster roles and that Universal did the the Inner Sanctums. And they did one, or they, they kind of touched on a movie called Calling Dr. Death, and they had uh, Patricia Morrison uh, talking about him and all that stuff. But that's what kind of put it on my radar. I'd never actually saw any of them until the late 90s. So these, these, I think they were in like the, 
ironically, all but this movie we're talking about. So there's six in total. Five of them were in the rotation of like the the shock theater, you know, TV packages that mm. was on the 50s and 60s. This one was not uh, due to due to a rights issue. The rights thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, but in the late 90s, I think it was 97, 98, somewhere in there. Um, after that first or initial wave of Universal Horrors on VHS, the the classic collection, the Inner Sanctums made their debut, and then that's when this one came about. So that's when I first first discovered them. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, and I had read the same thing. And I mean, arguably the one that went missing for so many years is, I mean, arguably probably the strongest one, or certainly one of the t- you know top top two, at least in my opinion, with the Strange Confession. I mean, this is a great story. How about yeah, you, Jack? I, well, I I like like you. Uh, Scott, uh, I, I knew the radio things. I used to uh, get all the old radio stuff on tape uh, back in the day um, and then on CDs, uh, The Shadow, uh, yeah, Inner Sanctum, uh, <clears throat> the uh, Mercury Mystery Theater and all those stuff. Um, and I, I really enjoyed them, The Whistler. Uh, I, I, in a weird way, I knew about these movies. I knew Pillow of Death. I knew Pillow of Death because it's the title. Come on. Um, it's such a, an amazing <laughs> title for a horror movie. Get out of here. Um, yeah, Frozen Ghost and, and, and some of the others. Um, yes. I, I somehow hadn't realized that they had been uh, uh, produced under this over over top title of, of these, these inner sanctum mysteries. And I didn't yeah. realize that that Cheney Jr. was, was somehow connected because it seems like that would have been something I would have jumped on. Um, but I, I do think that I don't think these were available you know, Scott, like and Livio, like when we were when we were collecting like the VHS ones when they were coming out in the nineties and stuff. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't think these were readily available in like Suncoast Video and stuff. I'm weird. Um, no, they weren't. A little more rarities and stuff like that. So, but now, luckily, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, we're all watching the same this version. Um, it's the um, Mill Creek release uh, Blu-ray uh, edition, right? Of all these, um, yes. It's a beautiful release. It's got a uh, great picture. The, the transfers are really, really nice. Um, there's some nice little documentaries on it. Uh, my friend Mike Schlesinger is is one of the the commentators on on the one uh, the documentary about about oh, that kind of paints the overall picture of all these. Mike's great. I know Mike back from the American Cinematheque days. He's a he's a fun guy. He's a, a really funny. He helped produce Godzilla 2000 um, or get that made at least. Uh, or released here in America. So, but uh, really informative and really interesting. So, so yeah, I'm here with you, Scott. I'm kind of here learning a lot as we, as we delve into these and I can't wait to to get into more and more of them. Yeah, me too. I feel like if it wasn't on like creature double feature or if it wasn't in my local yeah. like movie store, like VHS, I probably, it, it probably missed me. And I clearly right didn't right see that, you know, Cheney Jr. documentary that, that Livio saw because yeah, I'm, I'm fairly new to this, but man, I, these, these are great. And I mean, we can, Start getting into strange confession, but yeah, the ir- the irony for me, I guess, is you know, Chaney wanted to kind of branch out from from horror a little bit, and right. this one reminded me, especially like this opening scene. This is like right out of House of Dracula. Like, I mean, yeah. forget about just the mustache, which he he does. He has that great mustache from uh, you know House of Dracula, but just the just the morbid tone, the tonality of like this opening scene of him walking out with this, you know, this bag with a mystery, you know, mystery object in the bag and the, you know, the police are, are skulking around. I don't yeah. know if you guys got to, but th- this took me right back to like one of the house house films. It's very, this one, especially I think of, of, of the other ones that I have seen, I haven't watched them all yet. I can't wait to, um, this is very true to now they didn't have the rights to do the stories that inner sanctum had, had produced uh, for the radio, but this, this one, especially I think, really captures that mood it's the 
it's it's it is very noir like his character is doomed from the beginning and then you go back and see sort of what led him here and stuff but it's very much in keeping with the spirit of 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 the radio show it, it i love it yeah no I, I i totally agree and and it keeps you it keeps you hooked it, i mean honestly as fast as this movie is it really does keep your attention all the way through because you don't really if you don't if you've not seen it you don't know what Cheney's up to. You don't know if he's a bad guy because obviously he's hiding from the police. He's secretive about what he's carrying. I mean, you have no clue what you, you just don't know. And so it does a real good job at, at keeping your interest and, and that suspense up. Yeah. yeah. It's Cheney, you know, again, it's classic Cheney playing, I don't know, not quite the hot cold, but like it's always the character who's like unabashedly happy. And then he just drops right. to <laughs> this sullen, sulky you know depressed almost near suicidal you know character I and mean, it's, it's just such classic cheney and this is who we see here so playing the character of of jeff cotter who you know as we open up the film he leaves on kind of a rainy night and you know as the guys had said kind of not not quite hiding from the police but you know looking a little looking a little mysterious and ultimately is visiting a friend of his an old an old school chum of his as a you know all-powerful attorney um seeking help so let's let's take it from here. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty. You know, you see a lot of the familiar stuff from the Universal backlot, just the sets and the interiors, and and uh, even you know some of the actors. But uh, Cheney comes in, and he's obviously very say Cheney. Jeff Carter comes in, and, and Carter's obviously very disheveled and, and in uh, just in a poor mental state. And he pushes his way into the door, and, and you know says, "I've got to see." I've got to see, um, I think his name is Brandon, I want to say. Um, but it's just an old, like I said, old uh, schoolmate of Cheney's who's now this real powerful attorney. And they start to talk in and, and almost immediately he starts in with the narrative of uh, he, uh, the lawyer tells Jeff Carter, tells Cheney, he says, you know, oh, yeah, I remember you. You had a brilliant mind. And he goes, yeah, that's what they all say, that I've had a brilliant mind. You know, this. Mm-hmm. so he immediately starts with the whole like mind. His brilliant mind is not his own thing. And all right. And uh, I'll tell you that there's as much as I love this movie and it's one of my favorite chaining performances ever. There's there's three things that that I I strongly dislike about it. And one of them is right here in, in the first it's more of a missed opportunity. And I, I don't, don't want to spoil it, um, but. It is never clear when once he opens up his bag to shows it. It's never clear what's in there. You just know it's something horrifying, <laughs> right? I think they do a nice job, you know, especially with with the attorney. Like you know, it's something horrific, right? I mean, just his Cheney's demeanor, you know, Jeff Cotta's demeanor, and this is kind of I think what took me back to like House of Dracula. Like when he comes in, you know, into Doctor Anamon's house, he looks sheer desperation, right? I mean, he is just a man on his last on his last leg. And this is him here. This is this Jeff Cotta character on his, you know, something awful has happened to him. Um, and, you know, the attorney over on is like, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you coming by, but I'm so busy and, you know, I don't have time for new cases. And, you know, Jeff, basically this Jeff Cotta said unabashedly, well, you're going to want to hear this. Like I, I've, I've got something for you yeah. that you've never heard before. <laughs> and it kind of sets up the scene. So again, we go from this desperation Chandy character. So now we're kind of doing a, you know, a, a flip back in time. We're not, you know, say, I don't know how long, three months, say four months. So now we're reversing time. And now we see happy, happy Cheney, right? Happy Jeff Cotter living life with his wife and kids. 
Yeah, and and Cheney is is doing his classic, uh, you know, I, I guess the spin on his classic thing is this, this the big lovable kind of. I mean, he he does he plays it a bit of a, he's a goofball. Jeff Carter's a bit of a goofball. He's mm-hmm. he's a he's got a brilliant scientific mind, but personality wise, he's um, at least on the surface a, a, a bit of a, a bit of naive or an innocent. And yet there's something there's something about him that seems to understand people too. It's there's there's a couple of things going on with his character that I think are really interesting and and Cheney manages to uh bring them all in in the correct proportion uh into uh in, in you know into into the character and stuff. It's really interesting. Um it's I love fun. it. Yeah, he and remind he reminded me a little bit I, I totally agree with him. But like Larry Talbot, like this guy yeah. who is yeah. like a little bit aloof, um, but really friendly. And, you know, Livia, I don't want to I don't want you to step up and slap me in the face like uh, what happened to Chris <laughs> Rock, because I know you're the, you're the Cheney fan. Uh, I mean, how, how much of this is Cheney? It was, was Cheney this kind of guy? Like, is he like literally just is he playing himself a little bit? Uh, I mean, I, I at times, <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, personally, I think Cheney um, was 100 percent this you know, lovable, very, you know, outward, outgoing type of guy. But he also, you know, as as many people do, battled battled some demons and some depression. And I think depending on what state he was in or what mood he was in or what was going on, that probably affected, um, you know, his personality. But I will say that I think a good 85 to 90% of anybody that's ever, uh, you know, had worked with them or, or been around them had nothing but just positive things to say, you know, so basically everyone not named Evelyn anchors, you know, (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah. uh, You know, really enjoyed it and and said, you know, yeah, he was just this really, really sweet guy. He was um, very, very much like his, some of these characters where he he was just very lovable. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, Doug Dynamo Dan, the, yeah. Um, you know, mice and man, you know, Lenny, it's like, you know, he, he does, he plays that role so, so well, like this lovable goofball that you just want to hang out with and have a beer with, but at the same time he can flip just, a just one because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's the, uh, there's the tipping point right there. I think in his, if, if, if you want to say he had a hide side to his Jekyll, then yeah. Um, and I think that is the way that a lot of people do deal with their own depression and, 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 and other, other issues that, you know, there's a, there's a self-medicating thing and stuff. And I think that's just the tragedy of, 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 you know, him and his life and his early life and everything. But, uh, um, yeah, but, uh, uh, I do love, like, you know, it, it sets up where the first time we see Jeff Gardner's character, he's walking in the streets and he's carrying this, um, you know, the satchel and he's hugging it very, you know, close to his body and he's avoiding cops and everything um and the next time we see him in the you know when we we go back to the beginning of his story he's walking down the street but now he's you know playing with kids and he's laughing and he's holding the door for people and he's you know holding a christmas tree and then there's some narrations so we we instantly see the contrast of like we always you know Jeff, or, I mean, sorry, uh, uh, Scott and, and Libby, you know, we've always talked on the show, like, like man-made monsters. If you, you see the evolution of a Cheney character from the, the beginning to the end here, we've seen where he ends up and then we get to go back and see where he started. And, and the story lets us know, you know, in, in kind of a classic storytelling trope that like, how did he get to this point? And yeah, I mean, Cheney has such like a warm smile. Like he's yeah. you know, walking down the street and man, I could see why like kids would just like, you know, gravitate to him. Um, you know, yeah. hey, here's, you know, Jeff Carter. He's super nice. And, you know, probably I could see him like throwing pennies out to the kids or playing, you know, stickball with them. And um, yeah. but then at the His same time, neighbors like him, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's that guy. And he's a, so, so he, he comes home and he's got the tree and the, and the, some presents and he, and he talks right. about how, 
you it's know, Chris, in, it's in, Christmas Eve. Well, yeah, it's a voiceover. It's Christmas Eve, and he's brought some presents, and he's not—he's not wealthy. He's not, and and finance finances play very heavily into the story. And I'm interested to hear you guys' take on it. Um, uh, but the the whole undercurrent of the thing is that, but he's happy. He's happy, and you know, his wife is happy to a degree. And you know, um, so he gets home, and he's got this lovely wife, and he's got a, a little baby sleeping in the in the next room, and and all this stuff and everything. So it's it's very bucolic. Kind of um, again, it, I, I always it bounces off. It's made pretty much the same years. So it's, it's a wonderful life, and there's this there's this whole question of like, what is the American dream? Is the American dream success and wealth and power, or is the American dream domesticity and and happiness? Right? Yeah. Are those mutually exclusive? I don't know. Right. Well, we were. Okay, sure. There's no. There is. I mean, they even touch on this later in the movie about how there does seem to be almost like a a one or the other. You know, you, you can have money and, and, and position and power and, and all right. that, or you can have happiness. I mean, because right. I mean, later on when, when uh, his boss comes back to visit him at, around new year's, it, Cheney's character or, or Carter, he, you know, he says that he goes, well, we may not have much, but we're, we're happy together. And that's more than most people can say. Right. So, you know, that's, 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 that seems to be a narrative. And I think that's stuck throughout <laughs> so much, you know, throughout movies, TV shows and, and so on, you know, where, People maybe you know not have you know very poor or not have a lot of means to do a lot of stuff, but they're happy. Yeah, and it's a lot of times it's portrayed the other way around. If someone is very well off or very wealthy, you know they they have all these means, have all this you know power and stuff. You kind of see it even in this movie. I mean, look at Jay Carroll's Nash. Jay Carroll Nash, yeah, yeah. His he's got he can do anything he wants to do. I mean, he's he's rich beyond imagination. But I mean. He's clearly not a, a happy or fulfilled uh, person or character. Right. And the one the one thing he wants is the thing that Jeff Carter has that he exactly. can't have is exactly is Jeff's wife. Like yeah. you, so I mean, one, you mentioned money, wonderful money can't buy her. He you mentioned wonderful life. I mean, look, look, think of the parallels. I just I mean, J. Carroll Nash is like Potter, right? Old man Potter, yeah, right. And is it the one thing that he wants? Is what's inside Jeff's head, and he just can't, Bailey. Go, he can't quite <laughs> he can't quite get it. But yeah, yeah I mean, I know we're, we're kind of moving along here, guys. But so Jeff Cotter, if you haven't seen the movie, is a brilliant scientist, and um, you know he's come up with some amazing um, you know pharmaceutical um, whatever inventions or, or whatever it is, basically making his boss, um, the J. Carl Nash character, whose name is Roger Graham, a ton of money. And, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't always, you know, flow downhill. So Jeff and his wife, Mary, and the son, Tommy, are living, you know, rather frugally. They're in kind of a, you know, a small apartment. And rather than turkey on Christmas Eve, they have to settle for lamb chops. And, you know, right off the bat, Mary seems like a very loving, devoted wife, but is putting, I'll say, some not so subtle hints to Jeff that, dude, you got to stop making some money. Like, I, w- I want, you know, I want some nice clothes. I want some nice food. I want Tommy to, you know, have the best, you know, the best toys. And like you said, this is the conundrum. Like, where is the happy balance here? You know? Yeah. yeah. She, and, and I, I mean, this this could be dangerously close to her being a, a nag and being unlikable. And the film dodges just on the good side of that and, and manages to to still make her and, and makes her character very interesting that, that you almost think she's going to go one way once Jeff's out of the picture in South America for a while and stuff. And, and you wonder for a minute and, and in the end she doesn't, but um, yeah, it, it's very well handled. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And also I think it's worth pointing out too, that as lovable and as likable as Jeff's character is uh, from the start, you can also see his mistakes and in a way to where his, 
uh, his inattention to those not so subtle hints and, you know, mm-hmm. stuff can, could almost lead to some of the, you know, some of what was going on, like his, his inability to stand up to his boss and, and kind of let, let himself be walked over. Yeah. You know, how, how, just, just how that worked. But I do also want to point out that, um, one thing that, so, you know, we've seen Cheney before, like in the Wolfman or in man-made monster where he's just kind of been this lovable guy and, and just kind of on his own and around one of the few times, especially in this, this era. So this universal era of Cheney's career where he's a family man, he has a wife, yeah. you know, he has a child. And I think it's, it's so nice to, it's one of the reasons why I like this movie so much. It's, you know, this first part is, it's so nice to see him being so, natural um you know one of the one of the critiques the biggest critiques of a lot of these inner sanctums is that well you know Lon Chaney is is not good at playing uh this you know fantastic professor or chemist or you know this Mm. really essentially this really smart person um just because of his you know his his appearance and you know his his I guess midwestern accent, but as someone who lives in the Midwest, I can tell you all of the professors here sound like that. So it's not <laughs> it's, it's not far fetched. <laughs> it's not you're not going to go to uh, you know Kansas University and everyone's going to have a transatlantic uh, accent. Right, so, right, right. But uh, Cheney uh, reminds me of of actually a lot of people I know who are who are very intelligent um, in a specific way. Right, like like. Yeah. Like I know guys who can just pull a computer apart and put it back together, you know, bit by bit. And I know, you know, um, but, but somehow it's like mother nature. (laughs) It's like they gave him this thing and they took away a little bit of the social skills, right. You know, there is just that little bit of like, they're more comfortable in their heads or in the lab or in, in, you know, in a, in a, whatever, than they are in a social setting. Um, And it's just, you know, it's like the balance and it's how they go. And that's what Cheney reminds me of in this uh is a lot of those those folks i know who you know he he gets in a lab and no one can can beat him and stuff like that but when it does come to like things like asking your boss for a raise and remembering to do you know the domestic things or something like that yeah he's not that's not his strong suit exactly no it's it's the balance and i think they do a nice job so rather than making only mary like like you said jim just being the nag it's like he's got he's got co-workers that work for him or like you know kind of underlings asking him like why aren't why are you still here right (laughs) why are you still here like you are like the brains of this operation Roger Graham, who, you know, Jay Carroll Nash, who's the owner of this pharmaceutical company, would be nothing without you. He's getting awards. He's reaping all the, you know, basically all the, the monetary, you know, claims of your hard work. Why, what are you still doing here? Why haven't you asked for a raise? And, right. you know, and Jeff Cheney just basically is like, I'm just, I'm just doing it for the good of man. Yeah. So there's, and there's times I'm like, oh, what a, you know, he's a great guy. Like, man, I'm warm to that. But you also want to choke him because he's got response, <laughs> right? He's married with a kid and he's got responsibilities to Mary and his son and to he, son Tommy. He seems to almost have an aversion to money. I mean, there, he almost right. says a few times yeah. like they, he seems to be worried somehow that the money is going to change him. Or, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. No, p- perfectly right. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's some perversion to money. Exactly. And, and I mean, obviously, this is only like a 60 minute, you know, piece. Yeah. So what, a, you know. Why does he feel that way? Right. That's kind of yeah. what would be the common question. Like, geez, why does, you know, why, what's this advert, this, this perversion with, with, with money? Yeah. Um, but anyway, but yeah, he's getting pressure from everybody to say, you know, asking him, geez, why are you are like the brains of this operation? Why aren't you, you know, commanding more money? Yeah. And uh, 
I don't know. And, I just wanted to and have to point out too his uh, you know his assistant is none other than Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges is very. I know. Did anyone else find that Bridges. almost distracting? Is the guy from Sea Hunt? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and 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 I think in our generation more right right what um like airplane. Yeah, right? exactly. I know Take the wrong week to quit naked sniffing. gun or not naked gun hot shots right. Oh, airplane and uh, and hot shots. Yeah. One thing I neglected to do. I know we always run through like the, you know, the styles of the movie. Of course, Lloyd Bridges, right? And then like you know, Milbert Stone, who you know he's kind of has he's just like the underling piece. Yeah. And it's like, geez, I've seen him before, and it's like he's in like you know, Captain Wild Captain Woman, Wild Woman yeah. Black Friday, Invisible Agent, like so many other. He's almost yeah. like. um yeah, he's like you know, he's like the recurring like you know, bit bit character of all these yeah. Universal movies. Well, that's but I mean like we we've gone on about this before like like this is kind of the great thing about universal in this era is that it's kind of like a, a theater troupe yeah. right where where all the cast members keep repeating and then switching parts and changing it up and stuff i mean if you know watch watching this i can't help but thinking you know i'm seeing i'm actually right i'm watching right now and i'm seeing the scene in the office where carter is 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 sort of confronting uh uh uh, uh Carol nash's character and i keep thinking like just a few years before this, they both did House of Frankenstein with yeah. with Nash as as right. you know playing playing um, Daniel the Hunchback. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't talk about like a different reversal of of position and status and the dynamic between these guys. And then they flip around and they do this and stuff. It's really enjoyable to watch because because everything else colors into it, and you're you're sort of enjoying the other movies they did at the same time as you're enjoying them watching them do this. It's just it's a fun it's a fun thing, and that's why so, uh, someone should do a podcast about all these movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I have to point out too, like you mentioned Milburn Stone. I was going to mention this because um, I mean, if so, if anyone listening is like me and only knows him as the person from Captive Wild Woman or like the, you know, the the sneaky guy from a few inner sanctums and stuff like that. If you get on YouTube and and uh, search for Milburn Stone and Dean Martin, I think it was in the 60s or maybe even early 70s, Milburn Stone actually has a very good singing voice and he, there's like several videos of him and dean martin just like singing and it's a it's milburn stone in a way you've never seen him or even thought of him before that's interesting i uh because i was i was down a youtube rabbit hole one day um <laughs> and it's it, i saw that milburn stone and dean martin and singing i'm like okay this person has this name wrong there's no way that it's you know it's this yeah. guy but yeah, it yeah, was yeah. <laughs> I, I like how Milburn Stone is literally like J. Carol Nash's henchman in this movie, and he's still more likable than he is in Captive Wild Woman as the hero of the movie. <laughs> <Somehow>. <laughs> At least he's not putting people in danger of tigers. That's true. So true. He's like, I always think he's like the Michael Rippa of like the Hammer movies. Like he's in yeah. everything, you know, but he's pretty, he's likable. But I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of move on. So I think as we've, as, as we've, you know, tried to, to, to push to you guys, Jeff Carter is a man of he, he's for the people, right? So he's got this 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 formula in his head that's probably potentially could make Roger Graham and you know Graham's company a lot of money, but it's not quite ready to go into production yet. So of course, Roger Graham, the successful, he's the businessman. He wants to get this thing out on the market ASAP. And Jeff Carter, of course, being the more pragmatic, you know, chemist, is like, well, it's not quite ready yet. It might be months before it's ready. One so could say Rod- responsible chemist. Yeah, he's like the responsible <laughs> chemist, right? I mean, he's again, his his paycheck isn't going to go up one blip if this thing either makes market or doesn't. Where Roger Graham, of course, is going to make right. you know theoretically astro- astronomical amount of months. Sorry, the rumstein. This rumstein to kick in. It's, it's, 
it's yeah. it's almost like the, the the movie's message is that uh big pharma might 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 bear watching yeah. be a little suspicious right? yeah it's got, they got ahead of that um <laughs> now now the i i actually looked it up the fda did exist at the time of this movie coming out they starting from the 30s like 38 or something they were they were starting to um and so despite what the movie would have you believe the fda did exist at this point uh, uh they started i think in the late 30s um starting to approve medications for release in public in, in the united states this film makes it seem like there's no such entity and you can just slap a label on any kind of chemicals and you know get people to to take them uh which it works for the story but luckily it's not really the case well i'm sure we could be thankful for that right thought i bombed again all right um, let's let's so let's talk about Jeff Carter. So now we're kind of getting into a little bit of a conundrum of the movie here. So, so you mentioned it right, Jim. It's it's a balance. It's a life family balance, professional personal balance. Right. So he is literally. So his employer, who's so you know Roger Graham, is becoming very unethical. He wants to put a you know famous uh, you know a pharmaceutical you know discovery of Jeff's on market before the time. And of course, right. Jeff being, you know, a human being says, no, you can't do that. Long yeah. story short, Jeff leaves, basically leaving Roger almost, you know, without his, obviously his, his ace. So we kind of see now another side of, um, you know, Graham's character that now he's going to blacklist Jeff. He's not going to allow him to possibly work in, in the city again. Yeah. So we find that Jeff is now basically working at like a, he's he's in a pharmacy, but selling you know candy to old ladies, and you know probably not doing exactly what he should be doing. Again, he's a he's a brilliant mind, right? He's got a lot to offer this the world and in, in science and in health, and he's selling candy bars to old ladies. So he's yeah. he's a little bit off his career path. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, I had my microphone on a different setting. Jim, I, the, the whole time that Scott was gone, I was t- talking to you about vinyls and I got like no response. I'm like, Gee, oh. what happened? <laughs> and then I realized that's, that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I'm bombing here. I'm, I must be less interesting suddenly than I, I thought I was. We'll, we'll catch up with that, Olivia. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah um, but, and Jeff takes it in stride. Again, it's this, it's this like ascetic type thing he has. He, he's like, it's almost like he's monk-like or something. He believes in what he's doing so much and he doesn't care. He's like, he is like Baron Frankenstein a little bit or, you know, or Victor von Frankenstein, I should say, except obviously Victor Frankenstein had money. Uh, he didn't have those problems, but it's this, uh, we, we see it in, isn't he kind of a, a good version of a mad scientist in this movie? Like he's so dedicated yes. to, to achieving his goal and his goal is to, to help people, but, but, he, he won't he's not chopping people up to do it or something yet i guess or something <laughs> is, is the goal um yeah he's working in his bathroom and you know so so yeah we go to it's new year's eve and and everyone's there's a lot of revelry going on there's a lot of partying going on in the in the apartment building uh <clears throat> um their their kids asleep and so jeff's wife what's jeff's wife's character the character name i'm mary Barry. mary yeah mary so mary goes down he sends her downstairs to to party with everybody while he um, he works on uh, uh, you know his experiment and watches the kid and this enter uh, uh, Graham's character and he bumps into Mary on the steps right? oh, and never recovers from it. Apparently. The start of a love triangle always has to start somewhere. So I guess this is it. Yes. And I tell you that J. Carol Nash is fantastic in the in this role. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. like you mentioned, House of Frankenstein. If you were to watch these two movies, if you were to watch House of Frankenstein, Strange Confession, back to back. 
I mean, that's a great example of how's this the same guy, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. His, his acting range, range is, yeah. is superb because innocent Daniel character, this well-meaning kind of, you know, yeah. endearing guy. And then this guy who, you know, he's reptilian practically. He seems to to survive completely on nicotine, right? I mean, there's, there, is there a scene in the scene in this thing where Jericho Nash is not smoking? It's, it's no. a constant thing with him. It's, it's incredible. I noticed that this morning when I was watching it, even uh, in the earlier scene where uh, Jeff Carter and uh, Roger Graham are kind of going at it and Carter eventually quits. He is, he is lighting one cigarette with a cigarette that's almost out. I mean, oh, yeah. he, no. he is, he is constantly smoking and you can see it coming out of his, mouth and nose and yeah oh, it's pretty much out of his pores it's disgusting yes. god this guy must just reek you run into you know mary probably smells like cigarettes after just bumping into him on the stairs yeah. um <laughs> uh quick quick aside um my wife and i just celebrated our 10th anniversary we got married in palm springs uh 10 years ago obviously um california in a at a, at a hotel called the caracchia pensione and it's a great little place. Anybody wants to go there, there it's like they have pools and da, da, da. Um, it's it's actually two different old properties that are combined they, across the street from each other. One of them was once owned by J. Carol Nash. So oh, wow. Um, uh, and it is it's I tell you he he owned a cool cool place. Um, uh, um, even after he he sold it, uh, um, Winston Churchill stayed there and painted and stuff. It's a it's a neat place, but it was just it was neat. I didn't know about that until we were already planning on the wedding there and everything like that. But it was like, oh, I'm gonna have this weird connection with Jay Carnage, who then I really just remembered from from House of Frankenstein, of course. Yeah, very That's cool, awesome. Wow, very cool story. So obviously, he succeeded enough to buy a really nice estate in Palm Springs because, geez, it's cool. So I think, you know, yeah, so Jeff has kind of been true to himself to this point, I guess, I mean, I guess, arguably a little selfish to his wife and his son. So as you mentioned, now it's New Year's Eve, his wife is down, you know, she's more of the socialite, she really wants to enjoy life, she wants to enjoy things, right? She wants to be a material girl, as Madonna would say. Mm -hmm. So she's down having a lot of fun. And so again, long story short, I think, you know, Jeff is starting to feel the pressure, like his wife is a little disappointed that um, I mean, loves him to death. I know, you know, it's, it's the filmmakers do a great job at knowing that no matter what Jeff chooses, Mary's going to be the dutiful wife. Right. But, you know, Jeff ultimately chooses to go back to work for Roger Graham, for all the reasons that we just said, like she can, you know, he wants a better house. You can have now a housekeeper. He can give you know Tommy yeah. the best toys in town. But, but there, there's also just a question of like security and like providing for his family. And I think it gets to a point where he starts feeling like he's, in keeping with his moral code, he's he's not being fair to them, right? So, and so he, so he doesn't make it for selfless reasons. Is my point? He makes it for selfless reasons for yeah, for his yeah. wife and child. And, and I think you know, to Jim, to your point from earlier, you know that the Mary character can is, is teeters here. You could go where she seems, you know, essentially like a gold digger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they they do a good job at 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 not doing that. But at the same time. It gets the point across that she's like, okay, listen. I mean, I think as any you know spouse would do in her situation, where she's obviously frustrated because it's been you know years. Um, and this is the other. So this is number two on the things that I I, I kind of dislike about this movie is that it moves so fast that it's hard to hard to determine what the length of time is because so right. it starts out around Christmas time. And then he he resigns and Graham blacklist blacklists him. And so he's working at this drugstore and it's New Year's. 
And there's there's one line from the drugstore owner where he says, you know, Jeff, you've worked really hard this this year. Right. Um, so I think it's safe to say it's at least been a year, if not two. But the kid um, is like three now, right? He's talking. Yes. Yeah. So, so it 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 the, the movie moves fast, and it's not always clear about how the I guess the timeline of things. But yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, her Mary's whole point, I think, is like, you know, dude, you're you're leaving money on the table because you are so brilliant. You now have this opportunity, and kind of as she said, you know. Well, he's used you for all those years. Why don't you use him now? You know, take right. advantage of his offer, make your drug, and then leave him. You know, and, and then yeah. go do do something else. And yeah, so get I, credit for it. Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. Um, I don't know Brenda Joyce. I, I feel like I know Brenda Joyce. I should say from other things. Um, as the actress who plays Mary in this, she's lovely. I, it's like her voice. I I can hear it from something else, but I don't. I looked her up on IMDb, and I don't know what else I recognize her from. I I mean, I knew her from Tarzan. She was like. Dude, that's right. She's in a bunch of stars. And I, I think or something that yeah. must be the ones she's in the, the sort of the later ones where Jane wears a lot more clothing. That's right. Than, than the earlier ones. But that's right. Is she in the ones with Weissmuller or is this the later ones? She's definitely she's a, she's like this, is like literally like the fifth or sixth Jane. So by this point, yeah. by this time, she's actually wearing clothes. It's not just yeah. the loincloths. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. She's very lovely. Um. Yeah. Great. Yeah. No. No. Exactly. She's uh, She's in. She is in Pillow of Death as well as Spider Woman oh. Strikes Back. Oh, cool! I just bought Spider Woman Strikes Back. I've never seen it. I can't wait to guys. I can't wait to cover that. It's I know. Be awesome. I, it's a great one. Going back to Jim, I think Jim. The first time you and I ever spoke, you mentioned Spider Woman. Yes. So. I don't know why we haven't covered it at this point, but we could get Spider Woman on the schedule. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good Rondo Haddon uh, one too. So it certainly is. We'll get on that, guys. Um, uh, so yeah, so so um, uh, Jeff goes back to work for 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 Graham, and you know Graham now it it as we're into sort of the second. It's not really a three act film; it's kind of a two act film. Um, we're sort of into that second half where where Graham now has two objectives, right? He's he he wants to get. Uh, Jeff's formula to to do uh, the drug he's developing is called Zimmergene, Zimmergene, um, and it's it's basically like a it's a medicine for like the influenza and and, and other things. Um, so that's that's his primary objective. And then there's an evolving second objective now where he's starting to become more and more obsessed with Mary. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I mean guy. And you know, early on, I really thought it was reciprocal. Like it seemed like the first time that Roger kind of you know, got a little bit flirty with Mary, like, yeah. So basically we can, we'll get into it. So the, the one thing that Jeff needs to finish up his formula is this mold and the mold only grows in South America. Right. So of course, what a great way for J. Carol Nash, Roger Graham to get, you know, we'll get rid of Jeff and maybe move in (laughs) on his wife. We're going to send him to South America with an assistant. And then it's going to give him a ton of time to work on, on Mary Cotter. And you can see the wheels turning too. So when, yeah. you know, af- after, it, you know, Jeff is back and he's in this nice new laboratory and, and stuff like that, you see him move papers and then there's the picture of right. Mary and J. Carol Nash is just looking there and he's, you can tell he's not really listening to, to Cheney is, and, yeah. and, but he catches on that. He goes, Oh yeah, I need this mold. And it's only in South America. And he's like, okay, well, why don't you come over for dinner tonight? You know I mean? You, you can see his, yeah. his wheels turning. The machinations are starting. Dude, yeah. I tell you that yeah. brought me back to like any, pretty much any Dracula film when like, <laughs> oh, right. you know, he sees like the picture of like Mina or like something like is and Dracula's like, Ooh, you know, yeah. who's, who's this, yeah. who's this hot little number? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
uh, yeah, he, he's not even really that good at hiding it. He's pretty, you know, but but Jeff being Jeff doesn't quite um, think. Livia, you're right. They play it a little carefully. So up until towards the end, you're not really sure which way Mary's going to go on this. You you right. feel like she might be being seduced by all the uh, attributes and, you know, the, the wealth and everything that that uh, that Roger brings uh, because they set it up that she's frustrated by their lacking, you know, in in uh, in, in the apartment with Jeff. So, yeah. Well, she, I mean, she all but says it like there's a a scene when they were at dinner and he's talking about like mind control. Like I willed you to come. Yes. This is Roger talking to Mary. I willed you to come. And Mary's like, well, no, I'm, I'm here because I want to be here. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the line. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great scene too, because he, he is very forward. J. J. Carroll character, because he sits next to her, he grabs her by the hand and says, you're here because I wanted, or, you know, I willed you to be here. I wanted you to be here. And she, she, now to her credit, she pulls the hand away and she goes, well, no, it's because I wanted to be here. But at the same time, she goes out with him several times after that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the, I think it's good to point out that especially, you know, the forties, a, a very quickly made, you know, B production, usually it's black or white, you know, one guy's completely bad, yes. one, one guy's completely good here. There, I mean, there's failures on Jeff's part, right? He, he doesn't really know his worth. He doesn't understand communication or providing for his family. Mary, you know, it really does teeter that line of, eh, you know, you probably shouldn't be going out with your husband's boss while he's halfway in, in another but, yeah. country, but she's and, turned on. She's turned on by the money, the success. Yeah. Right? If, okay. I, I, that's a fair, ju- that's a fair assessment. I, I think that, that you could argue that I have another theory. I think of the two of Jeff and Mary, you know, as a, as a team, as a, as a, as a couple, I think Mary's the, the more politically savvy of the two. Right. Oh, I yes. think, I think no to some degree, Mary is, is sort of trying to work, uh, uh, Roger a little bit. I think she's giving him a little attention and a little bit of 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 you know uh, 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 massaging his ego a little bit in the in the interest of her husband. I I don't yeah. in, in my per- perception of the movie and and that's just mine. You know you can disagree. It's great. Um, uh, I don't think she's ever she's definitely never attracted to to the man himself like as a physical specimen. You can there, there's absolutely. It's not there at all, but I think she's kind of working. She thinks she's working him a little bit, but I think maybe she's getting worked as well is, is my take. But again, like you say, Olivia, like there's, there's all this stuff going on under the surface of this very cheaply made, very quickly made B film um, that just jumps out at you. It's really remarkable. It is. And I think that's a, that's a great point because she even, no, I, I agree with you totally there um, because she says that. I mean, when, when Graham comes back to, Carter and says, please come back to work for me. You can have your old job back at your terms and all that. And she even says, she goes, why don't you play him? You yeah. know, so she's, she's already got that in her head. That's, yeah. that's a, that's a great, that's a in, great. In, in another era, she would be sort of the one kind of running the family household. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be home with the experiments and, and then watching the kid. Right. right? No, she's yeah. like the taskmaster. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She's like my wife. My wife's the, the brilliant business one of the, of the couple, man. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a guy in the basement talking about horror movies. You're just the cute one of the relationship. <laughs> That's what I bring. Hey. Um, yeah, but again, it's also we we could say the same thing about Jeff here, and we'll we'll get back in the narrative in a bit. But um, there's moments where I'm I can't tell if Jeff is brilliant or naive. Both. It, it, it yeah. seems Both. yeah, it's kind of the same time. Like he it, it yeah. but but it's it, he seems to have he seems to have this like like very good perception of people's characters, and yet he can't see what Graham is is doing to 
for the life of him, though. It's so it's interesting. But he knew, like, I, I feel like he's got like the inside play on Graham, like, and he was trying to he's trying to con- trying to convince Mary, like, is Mary saying, well, just go back to him, like, make right. that easy money. But he knew, like, Jeff. Would, I mean, again, he's naive enough, or I should say, like, he's at least like a student enough to understand yeah. Graham is a bad guy. Yeah, he knows a douche when he sees him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he is like a bad guy. Yeah, and yeah. um yeah, it's pretty obvious. And he he doesn't trust him and he doesn't, yeah, exactly. So so but but it does end with Jeff um being said because this is what he wants, and, and Graham gives him what he wants. He gets the uh, yeah, he can go to South America and he can look for this mold and he can take Lloyd Bridges with him, who apparently isn't very good at his job because <laughs> because Nash <laughs> Lloyd Bridges has been working for Nash the whole time and and, and or for Chandler the whole time, and Chandler's like, uh, we're not really making much progress. Yeah. All right. <laughs> And, and it was worth also pointing out, I mean, because I, I brought this up, the, the communication aspect. So this this goes into, I think, Jeff's shortcomings. You know, he, he's and you you brought this up, Jim, at, at the start. You know, he's, he's as brilliant as he is in the laboratory and, you know, in, in developing these drugs and stuff like that. He, he is so so not skilled when it comes to, you know, relationships and communication yeah. and stuff like that, because. She finds out. I mean, if if anybody, I mean, we can all imagine ourselves in that in that position. She finds out about this South America trip uh, there at dinner. Like she she has no knowledge of it, and you know he he's already agreeing to it, already saying yes. And like after he says that, he goes, "Oh, you don't mind, honey, do you? It's it's, it's for the, you know, it's for the good of mankind." And she's like, "Okay, you know, I mean, you know." So it's, it's, but Jeff's all about the sacrifice. He, he yeah, enjoys right. sacrificing for the for the greater good. And Mary's like, you know, I. I get your point, but yeah. there's just, there are some real world implications to consider as well. You know, she's not selfish totally, but yeah, exactly. It's funny. So anyway, so yeah, Jeffson basically sent to South America so that J. Carroll Nash can not only get this. I mean, I, I don't know how much, I don't think he's really that concerned about getting this this formula anymore because well he's not because because you know the, the so the pretext for bringing them over to dinner at, at 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 graham's house is so that he can send his guy over to jeff's laboratory when he knows jeff won't be there yeah. and he copies down his his formula um which is which at this point is incomplete because it's lacking this mold from south america um but you know it there's Graham's doing like one or two things at the same time. And he's like, Oh, excuse me. I have to go answer the telephone. And he goes, and it, and it's his, his flunky guy. It's um, <laughs> Milburn, Milburn Stone's character. Who's like, I found the formula, but I'm going to take me a while to copy it. And so he copies it all down and stuff like that. That's what he's after. I mean, he just doesn't, he's unscrupulous. I mean, he's absolutely, he, he wants much. to steal Jeff's formula. He wants to steal Jeff's wife. You know, he's a really covetous bastard. Right. He, he wants to get him. Jeff. Great. He wants to be in Jeff's head. Right. Yeah. Right. Spoiler alert. Um, we, we, we skipped just one little kind of salient detail with, so now that Jeff has gone back to work for, for Graham, um, cause this doesn't happen right away. Um, he goes back to work for Graham and he starts, um, working on his formula again. Uh, Jeff and Mary's, uh, and Tommy's life obviously does improve quite a bit. Now he's, oh, yeah. um, suddenly got a, uh, a nice house in the suburbs and you know you know tommy's got a little like 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 scooter they yeah, sell housekeeper a housekeeper yeah which yeah. which at first i was like why would you introduce the housekeeper and then the housekeeper plays very importantly in the end so it's just like that's a good writing bit right. but but adding her into the mix right uh, without that then the, the finale doesn't doesn't work the right way yeah, it doesn't pay um, off yeah yeah because he has to not be able to see meet, meet right. his wife and have her tell him um yeah uh, and that's like the, and that, but that's the story of, of jeff like he's always has the blinders on yeah and like the yeah. ultimate part of the movie is he just he's so unaware like he's the last one to know 
yeah. anything. And I mean, no spoilers yet, but it's just, it's Jeff, right? He's the yeah. last one to the party. He, he, and he does, but, but, but he's right though. Cause I mean, you, again, he kind of sells his soul a little bit to, you know, for, for the creature comforts of life sure. and it does end up ruining all their all their lives. I mean, well, yes. you know, his Mary's and, and Tommy's, obviously. Um, <laughs> as as we'll, we'll get there because I can't there, believe yeah. the film goes there. We'll get there. I mean, um, uh, it it does. He, he makes this devil's bargain kind of with 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 uh, Nash's character. So I I do want to point out uh, just it's kind of a side note. So uh, J. Carroll Nash's butler is oh. played by an actor named uh, Leland yes. Hogson. Yes. And, May not know the name, but you would recognize the voice. I mean, he has, is in so much stuff from this era, especially Universals. He's in Ghost of Frankenstein. He's in The Wolfman. He's in The Invisible Man's Revenge. Uh, he was in The Great Dictator for Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Um, he is, and he's got a he's got a very distinctive voice, and, and I, I I pick up on it every time I I hear him and see him. But right. he's in so much stuff from this this era yeah he's got this very specific uh he's like it's like scottish right he's got like a brogue yeah. or something yeah 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 but it's like it's like raspy you know like, like you yes you know like uh that tv show gotham you know it reminds me of uh alfred you know he's he's uh-huh, the guy uh-huh. that you know he, he could be a butler but he could also kick your ass so yeah, yeah. yeah he's in ton- he's in i'm looking him up now he's in tons of that yo he's in invisible man's revenge which we have yet to cover but we will um i can't wait talk about a great voice uh yeah um, but so so okay right so Je- uh, Jeff's down in uh, South America uh, with 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 Lloyd Bridges on safari uh, looking for um, this this mold and they're making good progress right um, but it, it he actually does discover the mold and they they do some tests on some monkeys so there's some great scenes with Lunching Junior and monkeys in them which so I'm happy right there's, there's <laughs> I'm glad I bought this movie. Oh, you're um, a, you're a big Wild Woman fan, a Captain Wild Woman fan. Yeah, so you get the monkey, you get the monkey thing, which is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah. murders at the room morgue. Like. And the, these are actual monkeys. It, it's it's not a guy in a suit. They're actually little, <laughs> yeah, little tiny monkeys, <laughs> unless they're very little tiny men in suits. I think I don't think they are. Um, oh. uh, but but it's great. But even when he so he does the experiments and he tests on some monkeys and he they give the monkeys the diseases and and and, and they're, so they're testing on animals. But we'll we'll get that a pass. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then the monkeys that they give the the medicine to survive and the monkeys that they don't give it to do not survive um so he's proven that it, it works he was right it works he is a brilliant scientist he did figure it out um and so he thinks he's done he thinks he gets to go home now uh but of course graham has different ideas because graham has been the term at the time would have been calling on mary quite a bit calling on mary but at the same time like you said he's this he's sending his cronies to steal this so the, i mean right. oh my god let's catch us up here the zymogene is yes. like the the, the the crux of the movie right now this 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 antidote for influenza yes so the whole reason jeff is down in in south america is to find the mold because that's the last missing piece to basically cure influenza and roger graham money man businessman does not have time to wait for jeff to do his thing so he's basically released the zymogene drug to the public without it being a hundred percent you know tested without it being really knowing that it probably doesn't work very well his only interest seems to be that his name is really big on the cover of the, yeah and, and, on the cover. and and he knows that okay flu season you know the influenza season is coming up yes and that if i get enough advertising out there people will buy it and you know shares will go up and i will get super rich and then we can just perfect it later and it's it's uh, you know, I mean, you talk about the the relevance. I mean, even today. So this is what eighty 
you know, years later, I mean, just, just for a, the, the, <laughs> the influenza, you know, just the pandemic that, you know, we all just went through. And then as far as kind of the big pharma the pharmaceutical companies and, and you know, how scrupulous or unscrupulous they may be, yeah. um, this, this really, I think does well with the test of time with that. And also, I think it's worth pointing out, this was what, 20 years or so um, removed from the, the 1918, the, you know, the, the uh, Spanish flu right. epidemic. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that was, I mean, I, I think most people that were seeing this movie probably remembered that. And, yes. and so, you know, influenza was, was, was a big deal. And, and so it was right, right, right. just, just kind of like it is today. <laughs> so I think that's, uh, that's worth pointing out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so, and, and like, of course so so a big flu epidemic does suddenly pop up in in um is this based in new york or is this based somewhere else or did they they don't specify it's, I think it's they in, say it's in it's in yeah, generic like it's urban york, city but, right yeah i mean some of the landscapes feel like new york so it, it, it feels it feels vaguely new york um uh uh burbank for new york of course um but uh so so naturally a, a influenza uh virus does pop up and and graham's first instinct is like oh get it get it out there this is we're gonna make yeah. a bunch of money regardless of the fact that he knows that they're selling just just junk basically they even tell him too i mean even their pr guy goes hey we've got three testimonials uh, <laughs> and yeah. i think it's telling that graham's first question was did they actually use the drug <laughs> yeah oh yeah 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 he knows Anybody. it's a fraud right don't yeah, be ridiculous yeah. well and then they get the- they actually get the telegram with with you know hey from from Jeff, he's like, I got the mold. It I it, it works. I can start sending you samples. And right. J. Carol Nash is like, we're not going to be able to get this in the pipeline fast enough. Just put out the stuff we've got. He just doesn't. Yeah. He's I mean, literally if he had red, waited, like I say, reptilian man. If he had waited a week or two weeks, like he could right. have had the cure for influenza out on the market. But instead, yeah. he you know again going for the quick buck. He's got mm-hmm. all the you know the publicity ready to roll and sends out this fraud, this fraud yeah. of a product that. Ultimately, you can kind of see it coming. So, of course, who gets influenza right. is Jeff's son, Jeff and Mary's son, Tommy. And, I mean, my gosh, you can see you can see how it plays out, right? Tommy gets influenza. He's given this Zymogene, this fraudulent Zymogene. And, of course. Yeah, Mary, Mary goes and buys it for him. And she thinks it's, oh, this is Jeff's formula. Jeff's, right. my husband's formula is going to save our son. So yeah. sad. It's so you sad. You can see it coming, and it's it's awful. It's, it's really tragic. It's a total yeah. sl- it's a total slow burn. You can see it. Yeah. exactly right. She's telling the doctor, like, so Tommy has a doctor who comes in, you know, whatever, and says, Oh, my husband is this chemist. Like, use it, like pres- prescribe my son this this drug. It's gonna work. And to the doctor's credit, he's like, Well, it hasn't been tested yet. Yeah. Like, I can't like <laughs> in good faith give your son this product that hasn't been tested. Yeah. And meanwhile, Mary goes to you know this pharmacy who has a Zymogene sitting on the shelf and buys it. And of course, the no. Yeah, we know what happens. Tommy dies from in, from influenza. It's the the movie is it it takes just like a it is a slow burn, but also at the same time, and almost the the pace of the movie is is so quick that it almost feels sudden because it, it goes really dark really fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, because I mean, you would just from the movies at the time, you would expect that the child would live. You know, the, you know, the, right? Maybe, maybe the parents, or you know, something would happen to them, or you know, Jeff would come in at the last minute and and get the right, you know, the right drug, and then everything would be okay. But you know, as soon as the doctor comes down the stairs and he just says, "I am so sorry," yeah, yes. you know, it's just it is heartbreaking. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's like I, you see the locomotive coming, but then it suddenly hits you. And you're like, 
Well, yeah, further, they really went di- there. A further dig in the heart is so now Jeff is in, as we remember, South America, knows he's got the formula, but goes to the remember to send the telegram to Graham and Mary, like, hey, I've got the I've got the solution, but sees Zyrogene on the shelf. Yes, this already bull, this bullshit copy yeah. of what he—it's already made it to South America. It's already made, right? Yeah. So he knows he's been screwed, right? It's exactly just like general store it's somewhere. It's, yeah, it's been on the shelf for a month. Yeah, right. So this Jamagene bullshit drug has been on the the shelf in South America for a month. So Jeff knows, like you know, I guess I don't know. Yeah, and, and, and it's just it is, and that, that's it. He's like, I'm going home. Like, yeah. it. oh, and he only oh, gets word that that Tommy's sick as well because that this is we're obviously not in the era of cell phones. We're not really in the era of like intercontinental telecommunications. So he's, he's getting like telegrams and he, and, he, and, and so all the news he's getting is out of date. Yeah. And, and it, it's so sad because he is, it's like the the whole time he is just a hair too late, you know, yeah, if, yeah. like, like you said, if Graham had waited two weeks, he could have had the actual formula and then everything would have been fine, but that didn't happen. And then by the time that Cheney finds out that Tommy is sick, and then by the time they find out that he's given the wrong Zymergene, you know, he, he sends a telegram right away. I mean, whatever he was sending, you see him crumpled up, throw away and he, he sends it to Mary and says, this is a fraud. You know, go to Graham. He's got the the formula yeah. and give it to Tommy. Yeah. But it is it's just too little, too late. It just, just I mean, you just miss it. It is so so right. sad. <laughs> I mean, that's that's. I mean, to me, like that was really tragic. Painful. I mean, Jeff knowing that he was screwed by Graham, but at least knowing that Graham has the correct formula and begging his wife, go to this guy that just that just betrayed me and yeah, get right, the right. actual medicine to save our son. Like that's, that's, that's some deep stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He does it. Chuck, Chuck, all the pride and stuff, you know, he, right. he just do, do this. It doesn't matter. And then, but then he's obviously on the next steamer ship or whatever to, to back home. Um, he, uh, having, having succeeded in his thing. So, so Graham has made up some other thing like, Oh, I know you, you finished your, the thing I sent you down there before, but I want you to stay there for a little bit longer because yeah. he, you know, his goal is you know, because, and you can understand like as nice a guy as, as, as Jeff is, you look at Jay Carroll Nash and you look at Lon Cheney Jr. And you're like, there could be like a Lenny from Mice and Men moment here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But again, it's not think, even Jeff anymore. Think... Like he's like, he's just trying to keep like his wife, like his wife has yeah. put a lot of pressure on him, not pressure, but you know, I think, I feel like Jeff is now kind of trying to assume some of the duties as like, you know, the, the, the man of the house, right? Like yeah. he's got to support like this new lifestyle with the housekeeper in this new place. Right. Right. Like he just can't leave his job like or else you know, he's going to lose everything. Yeah. I, I will but, say I, I had a I had an image of Lloyd Bridges and Lon Chaney Jr. down in South America. And I, I imagine Lloyd Bridges from Airplane, you know, like sniffing glue. <laughs> I guess and, I did. And doing all that stuff. And, you know, like like Chaney, you know, from his stories of how he messed around and with Broderick Crawford, you know, after they'd had, you know, four, five. Right, 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 right hundred too many drinks you know just those two just like you know <laughs> going nuts <laughs> yeah it's so funny seeing Lloyd Bridges this guy that we associate with a whole different era of film yeah here and, totally. and and I think it's most mostly because he he didn't change much I mean he sounds the same as he does in airplane in this movie I mean you know we're seeing him black and white and obviously he got a little older and gray haired and stuff like that but but ostensibly yeah, he didn't. He he maintained a certain look the way all the way through his that guy's life and stuff. But he's funny. He brings a little bit of brightness to to this. He's he's a happy go lucky kind of guy. Yeah. Not in the same way as as Jeff is. He's kind of like a 
a character, you know, he's, he's, he's a little bit of like an impish kind of guy and something like that. So, so at the very least, like there's a little bit of, you know, camaraderie that happens here up until obviously, and he's, and he's the first one. He's like, I'll take care of everything here. You get on the boat, you get back to Mary. I'll close up. I'm going to drive you to the, the dock. You know, I mean, he's, he's a good friend. He's, he's there for him. Yeah. He, I mean, even like with like the, like Mary or Roger, like he feels like the only like real true, you know, just generally yeah, cares about Jeff. Yeah. He's got Jeff's back. Yeah. He's got yeah, Jeff's sure. back. Yeah. Um, so, so Jeff, uh, so, 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 so Tommy dies and then Mary, Mary gets the telegram from Jeff afterwards, right? Like too late, but that, but that tells her that, that Graham has, has the, the medicine she bought that Graham put out was, was fake. Right. And so now she, she knows that Graham is responsible for her son's death. Yeah. And this is where we see a great female proactive It's a great moment. Right. I mean, again, we think of the thirties and forties universal, like starving mm-hmm. just like for this female character that will be like the proactive one. Yeah. And like you said before, like she is definitely like more the politically savvy of the, of the two between the, in, in this, in this marriage. But like, there's nothing to indicate in her character or past or anything that we've seen of her that like she hears this at uh, this that he's responsible for the, there's nothing that indicates that she wouldn't just go to the police or something but rather right. <laughs> walks over and pulls the gun out of the got a gun like, like, does, Je- does jeff own a gun probably not, like, right oh they're going there <laughs> yeah it, and it, we should give credit too to brenda joyce because yeah you can see, I mean, she plays it so well. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can imagine, you know, a, a parent suddenly losing a child like that, I mean, it would absolutely change you. And and the way, I mean, her total, the way she talks, the way she looks, I mean, yeah. her body language, it just, it changes just like that. Yeah. And and you can even, when uh, the housekeeper, uh, Mary Gordon, is, is talking to her and she's like, I'm going to go out, you know, and she's just real... She's like very calm, you know, it, on the right. surface, very collected, but you can see everything that's that all she's, the turmoil inside. She's like vibrating. Yeah, no, yes. it's really she's fighting, doing everything she can to stay calm and stuff. And and then we this great scene with with her and J. Carol Nash, which is but incredible. She, I mean, she probably almost feels dirty, like she's mm-hmm. like been like not quite selling herself to Carol Nash for her husband, but she probably feels betrayed too, right? Like she's yes. like given up some of her like her humanity to this this bastard that has now you know, killed her son. Yeah. But betrayed and also, also sort of culpable too. Like, you know, I think she probably feels so much guilt just for liking the guy or whatever. Like, man. Yeah. How many nights did she go out and, you know, go to plays and, you know, go to dinners and, and go to his house and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, that's time that she could have, you know, had with, yeah. With her son, you know, yeah, it, it's yeah. kind of like what you said, you know, suddenly now she's in a position where she has money. She can go out and do all these things that she really wanted to do. And that's what she did. And then the end result is she's she's now lost her child and she's lost that that time, you know. Right. That's, that she'll never get back. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's really. Yeah. Yeah, and and June, yeah, she she plays it so 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 well. So I love the scene where she goes. She, he calls her and he's like, oh, I'm just back now. There's a there's a bit of a weird thing if if I have an issue with the movie, which I I obviously totally enjoy the movie, but there is one thing where, <laughs> yeah, the, in the wake of of this, um, Roger Graham's name gets gets played out in all the newspapers as a fraud, and they talk about how there's going to be like investigations and stuff because apparently all these these people that took the the drug that he put out have died, so yeah. now there's like a now I mean he's he's literally like I mean his 
his company is probably going to go bankrupt anyway. No matter what happens to him at the end of the film, he still would have been kind of ruined in, in both in business and in the public opinion. And yet he comes back and he's like, oh, I've been traveling. What's going on? It, right. It's a huge no fucking, it's a huge fucking scandal. Like or... the scandal, the scandal of all scandals. Right. Yeah. He's just walked into it and it's like, eh. I'm going to go out to dinner with Mary again. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, um, I I think Mary is is really shell-shocked because I think, you know, she pointed out earlier, you know, she kind of stated it early in the film, you know, when she made the mention to Jeff about why don't you use him? I mean, so she's, she's aware of kind of how slimy he can be. I think she completely missed it would be at this level to where it would result in just death in general, but not only that, but the death of her own son. And so, yeah, she's probably feeling all sorts of emotions and and guilt is probably one of them because she's been out on the town with them for a while and, and kind of, you know, schmoozing it up and, and getting close to the guy who really is, is responsible for, for the death of her son, her only child. So, um, you know, she, she grabs the gun and, and I think it's, it, the movie does really well here um, because the housekeeper, Mary Gordon, she, you can see in her eyes, her disappointment, you know, because, because Mary says, I'm going to go out and I think I'm, I'm going to go see Graham and, you know, Mary Gordon's like, you can just see like her, her stomach, you know, her heart fall into her stomach. And she knows. Yeah. This this old Mrs. O'Connor, this Irish housemaid, she's seen a few things in her day and, she knows what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think it's around that time where, where Jeff finally makes it home. And so you see him pull up in a taxi cab. And it, as as tough as the scene is when the doctor says that Tommy passed away, I think the most heartbreaking scene is right here because Cheney picks up his scooter, his son's scooter that he had left out in the yard. He did that when they first, you know, when he first got the job back and he, you see him in this new house and, you know, everything's kind of happy and all that stuff. You see the scooter that's left out in the sidewalk and Cheney grabs it and picks it up and goes inside and is all, you know, very happy and, and all that stuff. And then, you know, here at the end, same thing, that scooter's still, you know, in the sidewalk again. So Cheney thinks, picks it up. And it's just so heartbreaking because you know what Cheney's thinking or what he's expecting. And then you know what he's going to go into. And the the music, I think, does the music was done by Frank Skinner. Uh, he did Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein and worked on the Wolfman, Son of Frankenstein, The Mummy's Hand, a lot of the early, early 40s, uh, you know, scores that really, really was just reused throughout the next five or six years. But the music does well here, too, because there's like this this low, you know, kind of ominous bass tone. And uh, and then you, you hear like this childlike uh, lullaby play over it. And it's just it's so sad. And no, Jim, I cannot hear you. <laughs> yeah, John. Oh, Jimmy, you there. Uh-oh. Hey, can you guys hear me? Now? I can hear you. Hey, you okay. are. awesome. Thank you. Cool. Sorry. This, whoever's editing this one, this is going to be a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so if we truncate the silence, it's going to knock out a lot of shit. So that'll be, <laughs> yeah, that's know. true. It'll be like 14 minutes long. Yeah. All right. Um, we, uh, I, you guys keep going. I, I was enjoying hearing it. Okay. So yeah, the, you know, Frank Skinner does, does very well with the the music here. Um, but you know, Cheney goes in and you, you can just, it, it's, it's the, I guess how naive his character is because he's, it's like, he sees the the scooter on the sidewalk 
and him picking it up, it, it's almost like it signifies to him that, oh, okay, you know, Tommy's fine. You know, I'm sure they got the drug. You know, he, he just assumes everything's going to be okay. And he goes in and he, he asks, you know, well, where's Mary? And, and uh, Miss O'Connor says, well, she's out. And again, that's, that's another sign, I think, to Jeff. You, you can almost see it in his face. And I think Cheney does a very, very good job in this scene of the very subtle changes of, of his, his expression, because you can, you can really tell what he's feeling. So he hears that Mary's out and he, he's probably thinking, oh, okay, well, I think if she's out, then everything must be okay. And he says, where's Tommy? And then, and then that's when, you know, again, you, the heart drops to the stomach. You, you see Mrs. O'Connor kind of tear up and says, I thought you knew. And, and Cheney does the same thing. He, he tears up and he, he gets really, almost just desperate and exasperated. You know, he says, what do you mean? You know, what don't I know? Tell me, tell me, what don't I know? And then he's, you know, she says he, he died and it's, it's just, it's just heart wrenching. And and then, then his mind goes to where is my wife? You know, where is Mary? Tommy's gone. Where is Mary? And, and she goes, well, he's out or she's out, out where? And he says, you know, out with Mr. Graham. And you can see a little bit, I think of the wheels. It all makes sense at that moment to, to Carter, to Jeff, mm-hmm. you know, then at the South America trip, he understands it, you know, it's just everything, even going back to work. It, it just, it all clicked in that moment. Again, like last, last man to the, to the party, right. It's yeah. finally clicking in. And I, I mean, this is just good storytelling with like this Mrs. O'Connor, the housekeeper who, I mean, the first time, you know, Jeff Carter Cheney meets her, She's like almost rude to him. Like she's like, you yeah. know, a you know, big, boisterous personality, like, you know, be quiet, do the, you know, boom, 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 boom. Right. But when he walks into the house this time, she's like a fragile little, you know, child, like a China doll ready to break. So aren't, aren't we lucky and- that Mrs. O'Connor wasn't played by Una O'Connor? <laughs> <laughs> it would have thrown the scene totally. <laughs> she would have been yeah. freaking. It would have I think it would have undermined the the quality of the scene quite a bit. A little bit, but she's wonderful. She would have been out of place in this moment. Again, just great cool. actress, out of place in this moment. It's great storytelling, great acting, right? Like, it, do you think character. she's named after Una O'Connor? Do you think that's like a oh, call? Possibly. <laughs> hey, she's a mage. She might as well be called O'Connor, right? Jim. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we, no, I mean, within it's the, great. I'm saying within the universal. I'm not. That's not. A, that's not a dig on the Irish. That's I was like gonna say. Jeez. No, 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 no. That's I'm saying within the. Sorry, let me walk that back. Hey, before I get slapped here, I'm gonna call um, Will Smith and uh, go yeah, visit. I'm gonna go yeah. Will Smith on you. You're talking about you're um, talking about Kelly now. <laughs> um, no, that 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 within the context of a universal film. Right, fair that, enough. Okay. Okay. But well, anyway. All right. We're good. Let's get back. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're good, bro. But, but but it's it's great it's great narrative storytelling because now now it's a race where you know like we're ahead of 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 of, of Jeff's character Jeff is going to go and confront um uh, uh well he's going to go confront Graham but he's also sort of has to go confront Mary now and figure out what what is this deal mm-hmm. does he suspect that Mary's after him we don't know because he doesn't know that they've been going out I don't know what the thing is but. We, the audience, know that now he needs to get there before Mary kills the dude, right? Because we know we know what Mary's doing. Um, like we're we're yeah. ahead of the game there. It's just it's good storytelling. Now it's a race. There's a ticking clock. It's awesome. Yeah. I and again, I feel like he he knows Mary is going to kill him. And again, like I didn't feel it's like okay, interesting. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean, maybe it's just like his naivete or does he, again, does he check he the has, gun? I'm sorry. 
Does he check the drawer with the gun? Or no. Am I, am I just, I I'm remembering that that didn't happen. Know. Okay. Again, like, where does this gun come from? Like, Jeff Carter does not own a gun, right? No. Mary <laughs> probably doesn't own a gun. Maybe it's Mrs. O'Connor. It's Mrs. O'Connor. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it's a toy gun, well, the Tommy's toy gun. Well, Tommy's gun. Yeah. Well, he is, um, you know, Jeff is gone for an extended amount of time. So I guess you could, you know, you could put it together the, the, or, logically yeah. that maybe mary has something just to protect her and the and sure. the kid and, and mrs o'connor but we'll go with that i think miss o'connor would shoot some an intruder in a second <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> i think she'd hesitate oh yeah not her first rodeo yeah. but yeah anyway so mary you know goes and confronts graham and pulls out a gun and i think you know attempts to shoot him but she's you know pretty quickly you know disarmed and Jeff, for the first time in a long time, is kind of like the proactive alpha, you know, coming in yeah. to protect his wife, which is like, yeah. a, finally, it's like, finally, this, you know, he wasn't this. able to protect her or like secure her financially. But, you know, when it comes time for security and she's in, you know, in danger, Jeff comes in and now we see the Cheney that we love, like the six foot two, six foot three, you know, Midwestern dude comes in with, you know, little J. Carol Nash. And it's like, you're waiting for him just to stomp on him. Yeah. Well, well you know, because she goes in and, and she's playing it cool. She doesn't just go in to go shoot him. She, she's going to sit, she sits down with him and he let she lets him pour her some champagne and she's sitting there and you know, she's, yeah. she's waiting for a moment the whole time. And he, he does this thing where he takes her purse and he puts it on the piano and she's, her eyes go to it and stuff like that. They, 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 they hold this for a couple minutes. You're like, Oh, and when she finally does go to shoot him, she doesn't quite do it fast enough and he grabs for the gun and they struggle a bit and there's this little like like fisticuffs thing and then he looks up and he sees jeff standing there in the yeah. doorway and 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 graham has this just amazing like i just pooped myself moment he's just yes. like, he's like <laughs> Because he has, he had no idea he's on his way back. He has, he thinks he's still in South America. He thinks, yeah. he's, and he looks up and he sees the face of the man who killed his, you know, whose son he he killed, and he knows he's he's caught between a woman who wants to murder him and a guy who's just, you know, he very quickly he grabs a sword and he's just like hack the dude. So one thing, it, one thing we didn't really agree. Go, go, go ahead, buddy. No, yeah, I'd say it's that scene is so well played out because. Graham has no idea what's coming his way. Yeah. And, and you, you can tell like he, he's trying to seal the deal with Mary. You know, he, he's he tells her, you know, um, you know, I've loved you since the first moment I saw you. And he's he like he you see him dimming the lights and pouring the champagne. Yeah. I mean, he has not a clue what's going what's coming his way. And and yeah, you see Mary uh, sitting there and saying, yep, yeah, I need some champagne, you know, for for yeah. for this. And, and it's just such a. There's so much tension there. And then it, 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 it once it builds up and, and she says, you know, you killed my son. And he's like, what, what, what are you talking about? No, I didn't, you're hysterical. And, and, yeah. and, and she goes, no, no, I'm not. And I, I think that's a great line. I, I didn't want to, I wanted to bring that up because yeah, that that's so often said when it comes to, you know, women being upset, especially in this, this time period, you know, in, on movies and are on screen, yeah. which is all, oh, they're just hysterical. You know, you know, she's, she's, she's irrational. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm happy to see her say, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not. Hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> she's not hysterical. She's just going to straight up murder a dude. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Exactly. She's just out for revenge. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm such, I'm such a huge Indian Jones fan. This took me back to like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh with, yeah, with Marion, like the Marion type out. thing, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, she's like, I mean, the bar, the bar, the bar owner, right? So she yeah. can handle her liquor, and she's just trying to soften up her basically captive, right? It's I, I got those same vibes, like this Marion yeah. type, just yeah, softening up her captive before she can pull out that gun. 
she's very possessed of her oil and and so now you know graham finds himself in this thing and, and we have this nice moment where where you know jeff and mary parker who've you know they've been sort of separated by different goals for most of the movie they, they now share a similar goal here finally at the yeah. end of the movie and right. that's that they both want this mofo dead uh uh it's it's a little it's just poetic and and uh, there's a lot of poetry to this movie to the storytelling there's a lot of like it feels inevitable that you got here and you know it's inevitable because you've seen where it started but but yet like it seemed like this was fated to happen all their decisions yeah. that they they made no matter what it seems like they would have somehow ended up here it was it, it's very it's like shakespearean almost it's in its tragedy it's really you know so when one thing we kind of glossed over was so roger you know roger graham was a world traveler like a hunter blah 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 so when mary was meeting him for dinner this is in roger graham's you know mansion palatial mansion so he has like weaponry hunting weaponry Mm -hmm. all over like the walls and everything so fast forward now jeff carter comes in and he sees this machete sitting you know basically you know attached to the wall and this is and we want to talk about like and we've talked about it before like personal universal deaths this is pretty yes. damn this is pretty damn friggin personal this is up there with house of horrors i think it is this is it's, right and and i think cheney does a great job obviously i'm biased but um he does yeah. he looks i don't say crazy but he is not the same jeff no, i mean he's, i mean because broken. broken yeah the way that the way they do the lighting and the way his eyes are just laser focused and the, he for the first time like you said he's he's putting everything forward he he is not backing down and he knows what he's going to do and he knows he's going to do it um yeah it, it's such a such a wonderful scene because you see uh graham and mary struggle and then you just hear like you said he's, he looks up and then there's jeff and you hear jeff you know talk and it's just yeah it's such a different voice. He's so much more intimidating. He grabs that machete off the wall and he's just slowly yeah. walking to him. And Graham is just, you know, like you said, he's just pissing himself because he yeah. is, he knows what's coming. <laughs> Something's coming out of him. Um, he, and he does manage to get a, he finds the gun that they were struggling over him, him and Mary and he, and he gets a shot off. So, so now we see in the, in, in the opening scene, we've seen that, that, uh, Jeff's kind of favoring his side a little bit, and he's keeping his coat closed and stuff. And now we see that that we revealed that that he's he's been gunshot this entire yeah, time. Nicked him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but of course, that's not going to stop him, and he goes for him. And and there's just you know he he kind of gets on top of of of, of Graham. And so everything's obviously happening below screen because it's 1945. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, um, there's this idea that like he's he's not. I th- I think the inclination is that he chops his head off. Yes. And, and that's what's going to be in the thing. It's the Gwyneth Paltrow thing, right? Where like, like, what's tell me what's in the box, right? I mean, well, um, we know ultimately he does, but he seems almost shocked by it, right? Like when he yeah. finally cut, you know, cuts the head off off screen, but well, then Shaney almost like winces, like, oh god, it, like it what did seemed, I just? Yeah, it seems like in his anger, he kind of misses a few times and hits other parts, and then has to try go. a few. It's not a very clean kill, is my go. point. I and I think I think Graham's character is probably alive for after the first few hacks yeah <laughs> what's happening which which is very you know you know in the radio they would have you would have heard this and you would have heard a a, a knife stabbing into a watermelon or a cantaloupe or something and you would have heard that swish and that suck when it comes out and stuff <laughs> it, they would have really milked that in a very the grand ganal type way like you're in your brain use the imagination and this is kind of the same way except we definitely don't hear the hacking because that definitely would have would have even this is definitely post haze code and that that oh, was, I was not, gonna say the haze the haze people yeah. would not have liked that at all yeah, yeah. so yeah, but you can imagine it. You can imagine the the, 
the sound. And yeah, and I think the scene is good. Uh, uh, and I think it's, you know, when you see, like you said, a, a much smaller J. Carroll Nash fall to the ground and Cheney is literally on top of him looking crazed, you know, sweating profusely yeah. with the machete and just, just hacked at him like yeah. three times. And, it's you know, scary. you don't, it is very scary. Um, I will say that the, if you, the man who reclaimed his head, which is the, the 1933 universal, Lionel Atwell and Claude Rains is what this movie was essentially based off of. Mm-hmm. I think they do a better job um, at the end because in that one, you know, Rains does this kind of classic craze look, and but it's, it's much more slower because the lights are knocked out and he's he's slowly pushing a knife into Lionel Atwell's neck as like the lightning flashes. So you just see flashes of of this going on. It's it's a little bit more drawn out, but I do think that they did for the limits of you know time and and budget and production and and all that i think they do a a good job of getting the point across that maybe if you even don't know that his head was chopped off you know that he's he is hacked to yes. uh, pieces <laughs> he enough that he fits inside a a uh, valise it's, yeah a little bag <laughs> like a, yeah. like a bowling ball case basically i don't yeah. think i don't think there's any question what is inside that bag so yes yeah. we have kind of the confrontation and then now we fast forward and, and, to- and mary's mary's looking on in horror too so we have her we yeah. have it play on her face too which is which is great she's seeing exactly. the man she loves who she always respects she's seeing him doing this heinous thing right i feel like that probably turns her on she's like yeah yeah, finally. Well, well, hey, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking. I, I, I told him to be assertive. I just never thought. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking Mary's kind of excited now in a in a biblical sure. sense. Yeah, yeah. Hey, all right. <laughs> in a biblical sense. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So as you remember, you know, we we kicked off the podcast. We do a you know current day and then a you know kind of a flashback. So now we're flash forwarded to the attorney's office, right? So we've got Jeff Carter now with the satchel. We know what's inside the satchel. And um, he said, basically, like uh, the Jeff Carter, my brain, quote, my brain was in his head. So it was very yeah. symbolic that he cut off. And, and again, I, I agree with you, Jim. I think he was just hacking away at Graham and he just happened to cut off his head. And maybe we're wrong, but it seemed like very symbolic that, you know, quote, my brain was in his head. I had to get it back. I had to have yeah. my mind back. So it's very symbolic that he decapitated this Roger Graham. Yeah. Um. I think that might be not the film's strongest thing is is trying to to squeeze that uh, idea or concept you know into this a little bit. Um, I, it it sort of feels a little forced into a into a into a shape. Um, his his going on and on about you know once he's talking with this this lawyer guy about you know he had my brain and now I have to his brain. Mm-hmm. It, again, it's one of those things that I feel this being if not a literal like a a, a figurative carryover from a radio play. Uh, where you're only hearing the audio, I feel like that's something that almost works works better when you're just hearing it because you need you need that to help you through the story because you're not witnessing you know the action of, of the story uh, thing. But you know, I mean, for for all intents and purposes, it works. But it does it does what it does give them is that they never really draw. No one ever says that's a head in in the thing as we've kind of noted, right? Um, which maybe they couldn't. Maybe they had to avoid kind of that. So they're dealing with it kind of tangentially and you know as sort of a metaphor right it's it's a it's a metaphorical head in the in the bag in, as well as being a literal head in a bag I, and and i totally agree with you like it doesn't it doesn't fit jeff's character that he would fall into like the state of like almost schizophrenia like you know yeah. my brain was in his was in his head. Like I had to wax poetic off. kind of yeah, yeah yeah they've never set that up like jeff is like the, <laughs> the pragmatic 
you know, scientists out for good, like oh, for the good of man. Yeah, he cares um, about data and facts and figures. That's right. And knowledge that's right. and stuff. And and this 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 gets a little esoteric. That doesn't really fit with the rest of the vibe of the film 100%. and stuff. But it yep. but it yep. it does. You know, um, maybe maybe again, Olivia, I haven't seen uh, the man where he claimed his head. I I really am dying to. I'm I'm impressed that you have managed to track it down. It's it's not. Um, I am praying to God that that Kino, you know, studios somehow releases it on, on Blu-ray. Cause I know they've been releasing a lot of these kind yeah. of obscure universals, but I've got, uh, uh, essentially a bootleg, uh, version of it. Okay. Um, but it, it's, it, it is, a so that, that one is kind of the same plot line. Um, but it's set in world war one. Uh, Claude Rains is, is essentially Cheney's character. Um, and Lionel Atwell plays this, this like high level executive, um, in, I think in basically in the press hmm. and, um, you know, when it's like right before war broke out, he, Lionel Atwell is, is, is responsible for saying he's very anti-war. He's very anti-guns, you know, pro-peace and all this stuff. And literally there's a phone call that says, Hey, war's about to break out. And, you know, there's, there's money here. There's money in guns. There's money oh, wow. in, in all this. And Lionel Atwell just switches. So he's like and, a war profiteer. Okay. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it does that. And uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. So I'm, I'm missing some of the, the plot lines here, but he essentially, uh, he's the cause of a lot of, Claude Rains character, uh, you know, shortcomings, Claude Rains gets sent to the war and, 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 um, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, a lot of, a lot of bad things happen to him. And then interesting at at the end of the movie, you know, Rains has this, this moment where he just snaps and he, he takes a knife and cuts Lionel Atwell's (laughs) head off. Um, but it's and, not a universal. Is it a universal film? Yeah, it's it's a universal. So, I, well, I think how did uh, how did this how did these guys get in trouble then for remaking it without permission if it's all within the same house? That's interesting. So I think the issue was that Universal had the so it was a it was a Gene Bart play called The Man Who Reclaimed His Head. Okay, and and then they they made they adapted it for for the movie and i right. think they had the rights to do it once okay there you go so, and then and, but they don't have the rights to adapt it right. further into the thing and that's where they get in trouble that makes sense yeah and, and so when when strange confession came along obviously they changed a lot and updated it made it more current for you know 1945 but nevertheless the 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 crux of the story the guts of the story if you will yeah. is, is still there and they yeah, there was there was troubles there. It, that's the reason it was really never seen or, or never <laughs> officially available until the late '90s. You'd think Universal would have learned from Nosferatu <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at this point, since they since they were the ones who were on the good side of that. Um, that's really interesting. So, but uh, just just to wrap up the story, but I want to talk about something else once we're done with that. But uh, but yeah, um, so so um, but before even we've gone into the flashback, um. The, the lawyer guy has told his servant to like call call the police like quietly on the side and where 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 Jeff can't hear him because he knows like something's up and then when he sees the the head obviously he's like oh, yeah, yeah. um so now we're back in the present time um as Jeff's sitting there the, the police show up and and um and uh, Mary shows up with him right yeah yeah or she um, she comes a little later with the police or a little later oh right yeah. okay yeah yeah um and they 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 lead Jeff out and Jeff's not struggling Jeff's not you know whatever um but. As a, I mean, it's a sad ending, and yet, of course, you know, having heard the whole story, the lawyer guy says to Mary, "Like, don't worry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, you know, because he started out saying, I, I don't have, I'm fully booked, I don't have pen for new clients, but he says to her, I'm gonna take care of him. Don't worry about it. Yeah, whatever I that guess. means, who knows? He's Some gonna human, get him. 
yeah not, like not the electric hum- chair right some humanity in the lawyer i mean it, yeah. finally at long last uh, it'll happen eventually <laughs> yeah yeah um but the thing, it's kind of cool. Is, it's a, it's a, a little bit of an, you know, a little open-ended ending here, which is yeah, kind of, yeah. no need for this, this hour of movie telling. And then he goes and gets electrocuted, but he survives because he's the, he's, the yeah. uh, Dynamo <laughs> Dan, the electric man, right? <laughs> you, could, you could just splice that. I love it. The end of this and it would be great. You get, um, your new, you get your new movie project, Jim. Yeah, there you go. Um, so this came out like right before the end of World War II. This is like really, so this is, um having watched some of the documentary stuff, this is, so this has been, uh, I've always called his name Pivar. I guess it's Pivar. Mm-hmm. Um, Universal brought over from the the crime section, and he came over and produced this. And of course, he he produced Man Made or uh, House of Horrors, um, mm-hmm. the Mummy, uh, Captive Wild Woman. Yeah, all these all these ones of this era, and then all the Mummy ones and and stuff that 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 uh, Lon Chaney Jr. was was sort of not happy about, you know, continuing <laughs> to 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 do all wrapped up in bandages. The thing we missed is the introductionary bit with the floating head in the in the crystal ball that introduces the story which is great i mean it, re- it reminds me of uh you know the beginning of ed wood with um <laughs> yeah. yeah what's his name's character and stuff um yeah, the true events will happen to you future events will happen to you in the future um and also remind me of the the what's her name madam whatever in um in haunted mansion too it's just that but it's a great you know you know the the the, the radio series would have had a, its own like you know it had its own opening and stuff and they weren't able to do that so they they brought this in is that in all the other ones too does it, the floating I head think, guy yeah I, I think it's in all but I th- I thought it was on this one but I could have been imagining it, that because it of, is of, no I think they they cut it out for some of the the the, the TV replays um, oh okay. But certainly on like the DVD releases, I think the floating head is here. always here. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. I love it. I it's wish great. It was like a, a coda thing. Like, um, but it is very. You know, they talk about this being Twilight Zone, but of course, this is this is twenty years before Twilight Zone, right? Or ten years before Twilight Zone, at least. Um, so I mean, so we talk about the matrix of what a story like this is is how it's put together in in this visual context. Tanked and and here you go you you do have a bit of a template even for you know what Rod certainly would build on and later on yeah. and, and, I mean, and do amazing things in his own and it's nothing supernatural and as a floating head tells you at the yeah. beginning of this anybody could be a murderer and here we go yes. like right yes. what a perfect coda for now this this Cheney character who is like the the furthest thing from a murderer right. and here he is decapitating his boss yes yes you know. Um, the the documentary does an interesting wraparound where they they talk about how you know maybe the biggest problem with these movies is is have Universal having made them and launching starring in them and whatnot. The expectation is that these are going to be horror movies yeah. and they're not straight up. I mean, you could sort of almost call this. It's more of a suspense film, really, and a, and a bit of a mystery. Um, it's definitely not an outright horror movie. And it's definitely not a monster film. Um, I mean, there's nothing supernatural, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. But, I think but, the... but there's lots of that. Like like House of Horrors is a great example of you know yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the inner sanctum was was Universal's way of killing two birds with one stone because you know Cheney was was wanting to do things that didn't involve you know ten hours of makeup, right? <laughs> and him him being a understandable, yeah. Uh, and but at the same time, Universal was was raking in the cash with all these movies, these horror movies starring Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll give him these these inner sanctum ones where he just has to put on a, a hairpiece and a mustache, but we're going to advertise it as, you know, as a horror. I mean, if you look at yeah. any of the posters of these, it's no different than house of Frankenstein or, and mm-hmm. they're double billed no. with, with, with 
you know, one of the, the bigger with know, those movies. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly the, right. these, these ran as B pictures. So they would be shown after the, the longer. Also Dracula. Yeah. 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 So, and their runtime sort of was based on that, that they're, they were, they were supposed to be only like an hour long. They're supposed to be like digestible in that, in that kind of way. Um, Hairpiece? Do you think is he wearing a hairpiece in these? I, you know, I think I want to say in maybe House of Dracula and in some of these, um, his hair is a little bit more. There's a little more volume to it than yeah. Then even in like normal. yeah, even in like Wolfman and stuff. You're right. That's interesting. I can't believe that mustache. I'm I'm, I'm going to go to my grave thinking that mustache is real. I'm, you're not going to convince me otherwise. Well, he has it in House of Dracula, right? <laughs> he does. He does. And this is right after House of Dracula. Yeah, it's right before House of Dracula. I'm being facetious. I don't yeah. care one no, way. Or no, right. The mustache. The mustache is real. It, it has to be real. We, we believe the stash. I believe um, in one thing. It does. It does do this great thing where it separates Lon Chaney Jr. the Inner Sanctum star from Lon Chaney Jr. the Wolfman and and you know his earlier half his yeah. crew because you know at this point he he is their last man standing I mean Karloff and Lugosi have, have both moved on right like well I mean Karloff's in House of Frankenstein but is is Lugosi back under I'm sorry I'm, is Chaney back under contract at this point because he was uh, he's uh so this is I think Right before House of Dracula, I want yes. to say House of Dracula, and that's when his contract ends, right? Yeah, that's and right. Okay, th- that's when he was let go because that, that again, that's when Universal had had changed hands, you know, for yes. how however many times since the yes. Lemleys left, okay. and then they dropped all the contract players, including right. Cheney. and Cheney, and then brought him back, brought everyone back just the one more time for uh for well, not everyone for 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 Abbott and Costello. Yeah, yeah, okay. interest, interesting, cool. Hey, this is a cool one, man. I, I look forward to doing the rest of these, like sporadically. You know, we'll we'll, we'll spread totally. them out amongst all the other goodness. But yeah, yeah. so and, and, Livia, and Livia, what's the next one? Just throw it out there for the fans. <laughs> no, the no pressure at all. The next Inter Sanctum we're going to do. Yeah, what's oh, the next Inter Sanctum? I think the very first one is probably the the, the next best is calling Doctor Death. Okay, that All was right. 1943, and that was that's that's really awesome. I do want to shout out this this Mill Creek set. Um, yes, I, I think it took a lot to get this together, and there there's a, some great commentaries. Um, I'm going to shout out to my Facebook friend C. Courtney Joiner to because he was a right. huge huge uh, driving force in this, and he did a fantastic job in in the commentaries and and navigating because they put this together through you know, through the whole shutdown in, in 2020 and into 2021. So they were able to still, they'll still get it out. So it's, it's pretty good. Well, fantastic. No, it's, it's thorough and, and, and authoritative and, and, and everything. And then there's a really beautifully packaged thing. There's a booklet in the thing, you know, in, in, yeah. in the, in the DVD set and stuff. It's awesome. Well, Hey, Livio, shout out to you for putting this on our radar and making sure yeah, we man. did this when we did. And I would, I mean, I'd say by the summertime, we'll probably, we'll hit another one. Yeah. That should be no, our objective for the year. Yeah. Sounds good. But Definitely. Happy a lot of fun. All right, guys. So good to have the team back together again. Last time we were all together was, remember, with Bride of Frankenstein with, you know, Mr. Greg Mank. And so good to, uh, to all be back together again. The boys, the boys are back. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening to the Bogle Pass Horror Podcast. We'll see you online and we'll talk to you soon. Next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. 
Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Thank you.